Welcome to Iconic, where we talk about all things 13th Age. I'm your host, JM, and with me as always are Nick and Mark. Hey. Hello. Uh, we have a great show for you and a returning host, hostess. With Becca. the hostess. That's right. Welcome back, Becca. Thank you. So, Nick, we have new patrons. So, who are our new patrons? Um, so, we, Evan, uh, Jared, Simon uh, all started, or all became new patrons this uh, this last month, and John increased to the iconic level, and so um, we're looking forward to having him in our monthly games. So we've had thank you. We've, yeah, we've had some some good monthly games, and thank you to all of our patrons for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. And at the time of the recording, we are really close to hitting that first goal where we start taking some of the uh, adventure sites that we brainstorm and actually putting it into writing and have it be something that um, you can get. So we have a great show for you this week, but we are discussing a kind of a difficult subject in some ways and one that I very rarely see at least written about. Sometimes it's discussed. Sometimes it's discussed uh, with disgust. But we're going to be talking about how to be a better player. Um, there's a lot of advice online and in books and in the 13th Age Core Rulebook on how to be a better game master. But we thought that we would take some time, set it aside, and discuss what makes a good player at the table. And uh, one thing that this will not be is this will not just be a call-out session to any players in any current games that we are running. This is to be a constructive, positive discussion, not a, well, I have a player who does X. Um, I'd like to thank our patrons who wrote in on the topic um, and a friend of mine, Josh, who sent me a very long email when I threw the topic out at him. Why even discuss this, this topic? If you go to the Reddit thread for, um, for RPGs, if you spend any time in the gaming arena, you're going to encounter what I would consider subpar behavior at the game table. And part of being a part of this group is not just sitting, coming to the table and passively consuming whatever the game master might have prepared, but you are part of a cooperative shared experience. And there is a social contract in there that we sometimes fail to talk about or recognize. Um, when we broached this subject initially, what were some of your guys' thoughts on why we should discuss how to be a good player? Well, one thought that I had is a, a lot of the things that we talk about are more focused on giving inspiration or tools to those who are running the game. And while we frequently do inject advice for those who are playing the game, um, I thought it might be helpful for us to, as we have a lot of players who are listening to this podcast, uh, giving them something specifically. Yeah. And I would think, you know, if 13th age is like any other role-playing game that I have experienced or read about the player pool outnumbers the GM pool by roughly five to one, right? Like that's your average player group. Now, while we will talk about some specifics to 13th Age, I, I hope that our discussion is broadly applicable to, to all games. One other reason why I think it's helpful to talk about is, uh, like you mentioned, when you sit down at the gaming table, there is a social contract. And a lot of times it's not talked about. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's going to be a good discussion for us to go through as we um, kind of unpack what is this social contract that you speak of and how can I as a player uphold that mm -hmm. or somehow strengthen that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mark, Becca, what about you guys? When we initially started talking about this, what what was your in your mind on why this is a good topic to discuss? I think this might help some of those new to gaming, like you know what is expected when I show up. What's and, and I see that you know when we do convention or game days, either mm-hmm. parents show up with kids or just somebody that's new. Hey, I've heard about this. What's this game about? And they're not really sure. You remember the outstanding players who have everything together or, or invested in the game, have ideas, and then you remember the bad ones that just kind of sit there and don't do anything in there. It's like yeah. the memorable good players that help. Because there's going to be a lot of help at the table. You know, when you've got like the game you run once a month at the, our local game store, there are nine players sometimes mm-hmm. at the table. You can only interact with so many people at one time when you're right. doing a scene. So the other seven, eight, maybe six, depending on what's going on, it helps if you're the helpful player and not right. distracting. So, and you might not realize it until you hear this, like, oh, well, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't need to do that. Now you bring up a good point. One thing that this show will not be about is how to be a better role player. I don't need five outstanding role players who are each method actors and diving into the intricacies of their characters. You are not a good or bad player if you are not able to like jump into character at a moment's notice. If you're there to roll dice and to hang out and to ha- enjoy a good story, you are a good player. If you are an amazing role player who is dedicated to every nuance of his character, that does not mean that you are a good player at the table. We're, we're talking about the player, not the role playing, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Because you could yeah. be the absolute best voices and you get into the nuances of your character. You're like, oh, okay, good. I, I, now give me a skill roll. You're like, what's that? <laughs> okay, that's not, yeah. no, no, what you got to do. Yeah. So. If, if we were talking about Monopoly, we'd be talking about how do you play, how do you be a good Monopoly player, not how do you be a good shoe? Yes, exactly. That's a that's a good way to put it. I, I don't like the shoe. <laughs> as long top, as I get top to hat. be top hat, that makes so much more sense now. <laughs> so, Becca, what were your thoughts on initially when we decided to discuss this topic? As you brought up the topic of being a good player, I mean, there's part of me that asks myself, "Am I a good player?" And definitely, I think to the tables where I am either a player or even the GM, and there's frustration by the time I leave. And it's not because the story wasn't good. It wasn't because the dice didn't roll well. It wasn't because there wasn't good role playing. It's because there was one or two people that just were not good players and kind of brought everything down. Mm -hmm. So I think as, I mean, as someone who plays so many different kinds of games, I hope that even though I go into either 13th age or RuneQuest, Glorantha, or D&D, or whatever else that I'm doing, that I'm a good player regardless of what the system is mm-hmm. and whether or not I actually have to use voices. Right. right. And I think what, we've, what we're going to discuss is good for all of us. Like, we're all players. Even as a GM, you are still a player at the table. You just happen to be the one kind of orchestrating the play. So we broke this down into three broad topics, and we're going to discuss each of them kind of in in turn, but there is being a good player as a person. There's being a good player as a character and there's being a good player as a part of the group. So when we set up this outline, we kind of tied a verb with each one of these things. So on being a player, our verb is be because there is a lot of things going on at the table, but if you can try and be certain types of 
things when you look at being a good player. It's going to influence your outcome. So kind of our first one for being a, as a person, try and be focused. Nick, do you want to kind of give us our, our broad definition or a broad outline kind of a, what it means to be focused at the table. Yeah. And, and we had uh, put these questions out to our patrons and just try to get some advice and some input from them as well. And I really liked uh, the word that Michael used when he wrote in and um, in, in that he said, the biggest thing is the simplest it's engagement. And it's that, that idea of, um, and like Ulf said, uh, being interested and engaged in what the other players are doing so that you stay with us, mm-hmm. even when it's not your turn in the spotlight. It, it's that idea of I'm not the one who's actually being spoken to, but I'm still going to be paying attention to what is going on so that when it is my turn, I'm ready to go with it. Yeah. And this can be as simple as keeping down side distractions, side conversations that aren't part of the game. Like, I get it. Like, 100% focus is nearly impossible at any time of your life. If you're talking about your day, when the GM is trying to start the game or engage, you know, if I'm engaging with Mark and Becca and Nick are talking about, you know, how their days went, that distracts. I think one of the big things that has helped our gaming table is start 15 minutes earlier. Give yourself some time to get out as much of the side conversations as you can and have a, I'm going to use the word ritual, but have a ritual that starts gameplay, whether it's lighting a candle, whether it's going down into the basement. And that's when we're, you know, that's when we're starting, whether it's the recap is usually kind of my, Hey, we're, we're focused. Mm -hmm. Um, I brought this up with some of the guys in the Pathfinder group and uh, Richard's biggest thing because he runs most of his games over rule 20 don't have extra tabs open as the GM, especially on roll 20, you may think you're sneaky cameras pick up a lot and you can always tell when someone is changing between tabs because the light shifts. I mean, it's not that difficult. Um, Satine Phoenix on her, how to be a better game master. It just recently have, and we'll link it in the show notes, uh, a YouTube video and her number one, not maybe not her number one thing, but one of her top fives was no phones at the table, unless you're using it as your, your, your handbook, because mm-hmm. it is amazing to me. If one person starts looking at their phone or playing a game, it starts to spiral like it grows. Check mm-hmm. your emails and yeah. texts. Yeah. I would, I would say the side conversation can't be totally eliminated, but like, no. say you have like our monthly game, there's somebody new that shows up. If Becca's sitting next to that person and they have a question and it's rules related and she's quietly saying, okay, here, flip to the page. Yeah. This is what you got to do. That's different than, wow, did you, did you see this Chicago Bears game? They missed a few. You know, it's like, right, no, right. you're here to you interact. Son with- of a <laughs> living dungeon. <laughs> you're here to interact with the game. That's, that's part of what I made is you're here. This isn't. You know, you're playing an online computer game. Yeah, you're anonymous. Here you're sitting around other people, engage with them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, and as Nick pointed out, like part of paying attention is and being focused is paying attention. It's going, hey, it's not my turn, especially in combat. It's not my turn, but it will be my turn soon. If the GM constantly comes to you and says, okay, what do you want to do? And you're like, oh, um, hmm. And you're What's just, happening? Wait, is that monster dead? How? Who staggered? Yeah. Yeah. You want to be paying attention that's, to those things. That, that's like in the game we're playing now, I'm playing, we ported in uh, the Berserker. Mm-hmm. So when we start combat, I start rolling 
my random, what am I doing? Instead of you going, okay, Mark, it's your turn. Or let me roll my D6 and look up the rule to see what I can do. Mm-hmm. I roll it ahead of time so I know, oh, I've got whatever. And if I need to, you know, if I haven't done it before, let me get the rule book and quick remind mm-hmm. myself, what does this do? Okay. So I'm ready to go, okay, this is what I do, mm-hmm. you know? As a monk at the table, I'm always looking at what my next form is going to be. Like, okay, am I going to be surrounded by one person or two people? Can right. I get over there to get the cleric out of the way? Maybe if I spend all these key points. And so I kind of have a game plan going right. on that by the time it gets to me, I've been paying enough attention that I know what the battlefield looks right. like and I don't have to have my GM explain it right. again. And we're not saying that you have to have your whole action plan. No. But if the first time you're looking at the battlefield for the round is when the GM says, hey, it's now your turn you are probably not engaged. I I think there's a risk in paying so much attention to planning your action that Mm -hmm. you aren't paying attention to what's going on at the table. You know, if if you're planning out, okay, this this is my free action, things that I'm going to do, this is going to be my quick action, this is going to be my standard action, I'm going to do this dicey move, so I know I'm going to be rolling this, and this background is going to work. All right, it's my turn. I'm going to do all of this and attack this monster, and oh, the, the last player killed it. Wait, what? You know, yeah. because you're 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 not really focused on the overall game at that point. Mm-hmm. You've gotten distracted yeah. by your character sheet, mm-hmm. and I, it's really hard to wade into that line. balance. Yeah, it is. And one of these things, and we've said it a lot about GMing, but it's true with a player. You know what, guys? When you start playing a game for the first time, you're probably not going to be great at it. But if every time you come from the table, you get a little bit better at one thing, that's what brings you back to the table. I think when we do the GM episode, we should parallel this pretty. I think so. But the other thing that like, and I'm not trying to be the downer here, but remember, it is a social contract. And we're starting with a player as a person because just as you can be invited into a game, you can be asked to leave. It has happened multiple times where I'm like, you are not a good fit for this game. For a number of reasons. Well, like in the game, there are consequences to your actions. And out of the game, if you're breaking the social contract, mm-hmm. then there's going to be consequences for that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you, you had a really good point of when you're ending the game, whatever, however, if it's a two hour session or a four hour session, once a month, once a week, whatever that is, if as you are walking away, driving home, whatever, think, ask yourself, did I, was I a good player? And what could I have done differently? Who else was a good player? What did they do right? And then try to emulate that and collectively uh, you strengthen that social contract and grow better um, together. Yeah. The next one is, is be prepared. And this is, this is pretty simple. Like, listen, the first time you show up at a table, no one should expect you to have anything. Like when I invite people over to my house for one shots, I have like new player dice. I have extra pencils. I have character sheets, but like, Part of your contract in saying, yes, I want to play in this game is that I will bring the stuff I need to play for this game. And I may cause some ruffles here, but I think part of being a good player is at some point, if you've committed to a campaign, is buying the book. Like it shouldn't always be the GM's book because that puts a lot of wear and tear on the books. Like, I mean, it just does. And the you know, whether it's a PDF or referencing the Archmage SRD or get a copy of your own in some ways. Um, what about you guys? What do you, what are, what comes with preparedness for you? Definitely the bring your own equipment once it gets going. And I mean, really, if you are 
like just about any other um, RPG player, you're going to end up with multiple sets of dice. And so be willing to share. Yeah. Like when the new person shows up at the table and they're like, hey, I just heard about this. I don't have anything. Be like, well, here's a set of dice. Or when your GM has to bring his son to the game and forgets his dice. Oh, that was <laughs> hey, I had extra dice. And then sure. like a little while later, I forgot everything. And I don't know how I made it to that game. But <laughs> yeah, the fact that somebody else then was able to share. Well, and part of and part of sharing and being prepared is, you know what? Bring snacks. If your group drinks, bring a drink every once in a while. Like we all do this as a social event. Like Mark, like clockwork, brings cookies to every Jackals game. Yeah. Without feral. Over Christmas, I did. They're delicious. Yeah. But yeah, and as a GM, you feel the need to host, and so you provide snacks. It's kind of nice for a player to reach out and say, hey, let me provide. Mm-hmm. This time you are writing the story. You are directing the play. Let me host for you. And that brings a, an interesting point because and I know Nick and I have talked about this a number of times. If you were going to go to a movie once a week and passively consume it, you'd be spending 10 to 15 bucks, maybe even $20 a week to -hmm. watch a movie. Most GMs do this for free for their friends. Mm -hmm. So find a way to just thank your DM to participate, even if it's just bringing stuff to share, because you're right. As the GM, you're gonna you're going to naturally want to be the host as well, and that's a lot to put on one person. Most GMs don't care, but that doesn't mean that it's not a lot to put on one person. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I almost want to shout out to my players. They have provided minis. They have provided um, battle maps. They have provided game materials mm-hmm. that then I can use in our games because they recognize the financial burden on a GM. Yeah. Mark makes dice boxes for, for all of us. They're beautiful. They are. They're, they're gorgeous. I'm not buying minis though. I had somebody tell me that if they ever saw that in my car, they would break into my car and steal it from me. And I was like, no, that's a strange place to go. (laughs) Thank you. Right. It was like, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. I got to make some more, some other people. Latest Nate. Yeah. Yeah. Latest guy. I know we're going to get into it a little bit later when we're talking about being a good character, but I think part of being a good player in the being prepared aspect is remembering what's going on in the story, reviewing your notes before you go into it, taking notes. Yeah. And and I mean, I think there's this, this perception and expectation, and honestly, this is just the way it is. The GM does a lot of homework before the games. Mm-hmm. And I think it's safe to expect that the players are going to be doing some homework as well. Yes. That way, when when you do, like, you start every game with, okay, who wants to do a recap? And um, I think that it would be awesome if instead of just throwing it out there and asking anyone to do it, um, or always it being one or two people or the GM doing this, um, that you could safely point to any person at the table and say, okay, what's the recap of what happened last time? Or what, what's the overall recap of what all has been going on? And as a throw out to game masters, jam has done this before where it would go around the table and so you're prepared. If you do a good one, you'd get extra experience mm. or fate or whatever. Yeah. Well, in the Axe <clears throat> game, I said anybody who writes a write-up of an adventure gets XP. Like, hands down. If you write up an adventure that week, I will give you an XP bonus from that week's play. 
Yeah, no, I think it doesn't, you don't have to be a note taker. Like you don't have, like Becca and Maddie take copious notes in every game that I, I run for them. But that doesn't mean that that has to be you. Again, taking notes does not mean you have to have a minute by minute recap. You just have to have enough for you to go, here's what happened and was important to me. Um, the next one, I don't think we have a lot to discuss, but be on time. Like that or is at least let your GM know, hey, I, I'm running late. Yes. I'm coming. I'm just I'm running late. Yes. I'll jump in, sorry. And it shouldn't be a habitual thing. Right. It should mm-hmm. be of, you know, whatever came up, emergency. No, I I mean there there is part of the social contract is that we are all gathering and this is important to all of us. If you are habitually late, what you were saying, whether you mean to or not, is my time is really a bit more important than our time. Yeah, and I like how you had said uh, or suggested maybe starting 15 minutes early. And I was thinking, you know, if it's appropriate, maybe show up early to the game so that you can get all of that socialization out of your system. And then when the game is supposed to start, you're ready to start. But when real life takes precedence and you're running late, don't expect that social time to happen till after. Like, find a way to just be like, cool, crap, I am late. This is still super important to me. Let me show that by just saying, hey, where we're at, excellent. Let's dive in and go. Now, sadly, we have to talk about this one because this is probably more con game or game store game. But I've had it happen at the table a couple of times. And we're going to call it Be Considerate. It's almost cliche. but It's almost it cliche. Happens. It does happen. It's cliche for a reason. Players maintain a monochrome of <laughs> hygiene. Like we've all been there. Like I've come to games after working out, realizing that I'm like, oof, maybe I should have gone home first. Maybe I should have been late. But it's not just cleanliness, which I'm sure we could scour the internet and find all <laughs> sorts of horror stories or even just look back into our own pasts. <laughs> but there's a respect for boundaries there. And I think cleanliness is a boundary that we we need to respect. What are some other boundaries that as players you need to be aware of at the table? And One is language. Yeah, now, we're all adults. And one of our games, we're adult and it has an adult flavor. But if you're at your local game store where families are coming in, you can't just be the loud, obnoxious player that's just dropping inappropriate comments. Right. Or if you have somebody at the table who's like, like, listen, that's just like, I don't use that type of language or I'm very uncomfortable when things stray into some things. Like, it's not your job to push their boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you definitely should. You should restrain yourself. And most games I play in are like that. Mm-hmm. Our Thursday night one is crazy for <laughs> different reasons. Uh, but it's generally just very, I don't know, it's just, it yeah. doesn't have to go mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And beyond language, I mean, JM, you kind of s- spoke to this, but people's boundaries, um, some people are very comfortable. But I mean, yeah, there's there's people's boundaries. And in some games, particularly home games, I am very comfortable as a player flirting with like another player in a game store game. I'm not right. And I'll, and I mean, part of that is I'm the only female at the table, but just in general, like I'm not comfortable with that. And if somebody else were to try to push that onto me, right, it would, it would not be okay. And so knowing where people are, 
with their own boundaries, whether that is language, whether that is flirting, whether that is any other kind of relational. How evil you want your character how to be. Evil, yeah. yeah, that's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole. So. But then also not just with how evil you want your character to be, but also paying attention to what the tone of the game is. Mm-hmm. And if this is supposed to be a horror-esque game where there's really high tension and there's scary weird stuff going on and you're over there cracking jokes totally ruining the tone of what's going on at the yeah, table. Yeah, if that's, you're playing Call of Cthulhu it's not I mean it doesn't mean a funny situation won't happen where everyone breaks up but yeah but definitely it's not a light hearted romp mm-hmm. right it, yeah it's the tone or you're playing World of Darkness it's 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 dark for we know it's that yeah, yeah. so yeah I, I like the immersion part where you know yeah, that sometimes just breaks a game. Yeah. Where I've like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to come back to this group because mm-hmm. they won't play Call of Cthulhu, but they're all doing weird stuff. On the flip side, playing a game where most people are lighthearted and then coming in and describing the fact that you killed this guy in this very gruesome fashion and just derail something that was fairly PG into R and everybody else is sitting there staring at you going, what? That's not the tone. Whether so, finding out if the tone is gruesome and Call of Cthulhu to begin with, and keeping it in that same vein, or if it's more a lighthearted romp and not dragging it into the realms that people don't like. And I think along the lines of the discussion about boundaries and being considerate is if you have a boundary that you don't want crossed, that really needs to be communicated. And I think that's that leads into our next topic, which is kind of be open. Understand that like real life takes priority. Understand that the GM is not a mind reader and neither are your fellow players. Mm-hmm. If you have an issue, if the GM has an issue with you, be open to that fact. There needs to be a dialogue about the game, about the players. If you have trouble, if you have trouble engaging, uh, this was your comment, Nick, if you want to go through it. Yeah, I mean, th- the fact is nobody's perfect. We all have issues. And so when you put a team of three to 12 people together at a table, the likelihood is that there are going to be conflicts that arise. And I think that if we are willing to accept the fact that conflicts arise and we are adults and we can work through this and being willing to actually work through that um, and being open in that communication, I think it it ends up being better for everybody. Um, It does seem that the GM ends up being the arbiter for those types of conflicts. Um, and that I think that just kind of goes along with the role and the expectations of that social contract. Um, but if you've got a beef with some, with another player or with the GM, yeah, try to try to be an adult about it and be respectful, but deal with it. Well, cause I think most people want to work through it. Mm-hmm. Like there was a, there was a situation that arose at the dark eye table where you're like, I even crossed my own boundaries and mm-hmm. I need to like, like this character needs to go away. Like oh, yeah. you were I, super open and you were super like receptive to what had to be said. And it was awesome. Like it was a, what could have been an issue for anyone was completely diffused by open communication. I don't know if I've actually ever said that to you. Like I no, appreciate it. it, with, it and, and I don't make a habit of what Nick suggested where you evaluate as you're driving home. A lot of times I'll think of the game or you know, whatever, you know, song comes on and you start wandering. But as I drove home, I did not feel good. Mm. I was like, yeah, I crossed a boundary. And not the actions were dark. 
and I didn't feel comfortable with that character anymore. I mean, it was and he was tone. he was it, it was it was in the tone, but some of the other characters had promised some. Well, they they said, yeah, if you surrender, you're fine. And the person surrendered, and I killed her anyway. No, he needs to go away. Yeah, that was just too dark. There's no way he will repair. Yeah, and I kind of thought, you know what? He, he maybe the character wouldn't have turned himself in, but he would have said, you know what? I'm done with this group, and he just would have left. Yeah, because they didn't trust him. Well, and then <laughs> Lily was ready to hit me in the head with a hammer. I think Lily was. She like, was like, I gave my word, and he he was like, man, yeah, he needs to go. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that leads into a into a our next topic, which is you're not just a player in the game, but you're a character. And our verb for player as character is no. So the first thing is you should know your character. You don't need to know them inside and out, what they'd order for breakfast and, you know, what foot they get blisters on when they go hiking through the Misty Mountains. Left. Oh, I was going to go with right. Well, you both know your characters way better. (laughs) But Nick pointed out the GM does homework, so why shouldn't the players? Mm -hmm. Um, Nick, you, you kind of expanded this a little bit. Why don't you you dig in here? Well, there's a lot of hooks in 13th Age that create avenues for players to buy in to the game, to flesh out what the world is like. Um, you know, thinking about the your one unique things, your backgrounds, the different icon relationships. Um, think about those outside of the game time. You know, it, it's one thing to be put on the spot and say... How does this background apply to this situation? It's another for you to have in your preparation time been thinking through what does this background of, you know, is the first place frog hopping competition winner? You know, what what does that mean? I think it's a healthy thing to do. Doesn't have to be done all always, but just take one sheet of paper and write down the question, why? This is my one unique thing. Why? This is my background. Why? These are my icon relationships. Why? And try to somehow tie all of them together into that backstory. It doesn't have to take very long, but when you're done, you know your character better and you have something you can hand your GM and then they're going to be empowered mm-hmm. to rope you into the, the overall story better as well. If we get to the point where we do our, like our player's guide for 13th age, we should have that as a little cheat sheet at yeah. the back. And there's a lot of systems that have questions. Mm-hmm. That you can answer. Dark Eye had some. Um, you've had questions that you've posted before we've started mm-hmm. campaigns. Answer these questions. I'll give you some experience mm-hmm. to dig into the background, which helps you because you can then pull, mm-hmm. as a player, submit them. You can pull, oh, Nick Nick put this down. This is, he won the frog contest because, you know, he's got some Sahagwan blood in him somewhere right. down the line. Mama liked to fish guys. So it helps the GM with, oh, okay, here's a hook. I can put that in over here. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is, and we talked about it in our backgrounds episode, or when we talked about backgrounds in season one, as a GM, there are a lot of times where you're like, hey, I have this background and I won't even have you roll for it because yeah, your background fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. As the player, if I know my backgrounds well enough to say, well, what do I know about it? Because I have this background that puts you in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, know your character, know your background. And again, you don't have to have it figured out on your first session. Uh, one of the players in my D&D group, she came to the table with a very rough idea of a ranger similar to Aragorn. And as we've played over these three years, she's really fleshed out her background mm-hmm. so much to the point that it is driving a lot of the story because she's saying, oh, well, my grandmother was there. Oh, well, right. my grandfather did this. And she she knows her family history. 
which is great because then I don't have to know it. Right. But it's driving so much of the story now. And she didn't know that when we got started. No. And I will say as a DM players, if you do this, the DM will eat it up. Like oh, if yeah. you want more buy-in, if you want more engagement, give your GM or your DM some of this stuff and we will eat it up. But as you, as you said, you don't have to have the answer to all three of those questions at the start. Like you can continually refine this through the campaign. One of our patrons, uh, Jeffrey, had a, a really good point about find ways to buy in. Like even if your character on the surface doesn't seem like it meshes really well, find ways to get that buy-in, you know, yeah. get creative with it. Um, you know, his comment was, even if the story's not exactly to your taste, try to find ways to make your character work rather than fighting it, you know, mm -hmm. rather than being that abrasive uh, character because, well, I, I just don't fit here. Like, make, make it fit, you know, mm -hmm. shift your idea of what your character is so that it does fit in. In a game that we have, my character is an absolute coward. Well, why would she continue to stay with this party who keep going into more and more dangerous things. And I latched on to, well, she's an absolute coward, except that character is clearly the leader of the group. And if he asks her to do anything, she'll say yes. And so as long as that character asks my character to do something, she'll do it. And so that allows me to still play the coward, but it gives me that buy-in. It gives yeah. me that reason to keep going with this group. Otherwise any coward would have left. Yeah. Right. Well, our next know is know the world. And listen, players, I'm not saying that you have to read your DM's 30-page background on the world. But it's fascinating. <laughs> but at least take time to write down something about the world. Ask questions. Be like, well, what would my character know about this? If the GM mentions a name, there's probably a reason for it. Just... Tossing that out there. There's this great moment in DM of the Rings where, which is a webcomic about what if Lord of the Rings was actually a, a role-playing campaign. Like Tolkien never wrote it. It's some dude's D&D &D campaign. And they defeat Saruman. And they're like, sweet, the game is over. Because no one bothered to write down Saruman and Sauron. And they got the two confused for like, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a very subtle joke for a very long time. And then suddenly it comes to a head and you're like, I've been there. Like... We joke mm -hmm. that like everything should be named Jeff the King of Pittsburgh because people would remember those names. As a GM myself, if you are going to engage in world creation, I'll I'll take that. Um, tell me about your town, your hometown. Mm -hmm. Tell me that it is a haven in the land of monstrosities where rangers come and flock from miles away. Great. I didn't have a hometown for you. Now I do. And you can destroy it. That's right. <laughs> I really hope Maddie doesn't listen to this one. <laughs> Be devoured by a living dungeon. That's right. Well, and I think if your GM is running 13th Age, if you are a player in a 13th Age game, one of the reasons your GM picked this game to run is because he wants to be able to have push back to the players for creativity. Mm -hmm. the, the game itself has so many mechanics that require the players buy-in. The GM wants that. They're not running Forgotten Realms where they can go look up any answer. They're wanting the players to provide the answers. So know enough about the world that when you say something, it doesn't contradict with everything that has come up before. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think they design it this way? They had this discussion about players. And like, you know what? We're going to put it in the rules that the players have to 
maybe come up with stuff. We'll have a follow up where we have Rob and Jonathan yeah. on and ask. Say, and it might be like, yeah, we had players. That just you know what? This kind of pushes it back. But you have to come up with something, and it's a benefit. It's not just a fluff. Well, what's your yeah. background? There are points assigned, and you can make yeah. checks with them. Be creative. Come up with stuff. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the best mechanics of 13th Age because it brings in your players' creativity, and it's not all on how many books the GM has read. It's It creates a living world. And that's one of the, the big draws of Book of Ages. Mm-hmm. You know, that way the GM isn't going to have to define the past 13th Ages, or the game designers aren't having to explicitly define what the past 13th ages are is that you can collectively come together as a group and hash it out. Yeah. Well, and I think that it also prevents canon lawyering where you want to run a game in the forgotten realms and the guy has read every forgotten realms book and is like, well, I'm sorry, that's not actually how Shadowdale is. Well, you know what? Like Yorgolorontho will vary. The dragon empire is purposely very vague for this reason. Mm-hmm. Well, the next no is no of the story. We've already talked about the importance of notes Mm-hmm. But Becca touched on it, and I think this is really good. Find a way to bond with at least one other character. And this was Ben's big contribution when we were talking about this. Ben is like, nothing gets him into the story or more engaged or more engaged with the world than having in-character discussions with other characters about something. He finds out who his character is. He finds out who your character is. And the game becomes real to him in a way that isn't, well, I can do this healing spell on my next turn and do that. I think of our Pathfinder game and all of the discussions between DeBrock and uh, your character, Nick. and Takalo. It's, it's They're hysterical. But that's been very purposely going, sweet, this is the character that my character would bond with. And if each person bonds with a different person... The group just kind of draws together. I would do that, but you keep killing me. <laughs> yeah, just in the Thirteenth Age game. Well, I mean, Heraclides that's what we're talking about, right? Beginning. Yes. In the Thirteenth Age game at the game store, I mean, part of this has begin, been because the heroes of Harrowdale have died off, and there's really only three of us left. But yeah, like my character has very purposefully bonded with Nick's character in that we're the last ones. Alive. All right. Maris keeps you alive. Yeah, she does. I'm going to keep her alive as long as possible. Well, that and I totally wasted your sake in the first session. Oh my gosh, she did, and it was great. (laughs) But yeah, like, I know I do try to find that bond. As a GM, I look at my players bonding in different ways, and I think it's great because then I can tug on a thread in someone's backstory and know at least two other people are going to follow this character. Mm -hmm. And so then when I have a character that hasn't bonded with anybody and this player enjoys being there, but I don't know what drives their character. I have a hard time figuring out how am I going to get them invested? And so as a player, you've got to figure out how to get invested in this and please let your GM know. Well, I think back to, when you invited me to the D&D game, I was like, well, what's going on in the story? All right, I'm coming into a D&D game that's been going on for three years. The main conflict is X. Excellent. Here is exactly why my character would be 100. And sometimes I think I may be more focused on the on the big picture <laughs> just because of that. You told me what right. the big picture was. I'm like, sweet, I'm 100% invested in this. So that even though I I was the new person at the table and nobody knew who my character was... 
I could say, this goal is important to me. There is a reason for me to go with you. Mm -hmm. And and this is something too, that can be done as part of that out of game player prep Mm -hmm. where if there seems to be some connection going on in the game, then maybe outside of game time, you call the other player up and you work through some of this with them or an email thread goes back and forth saying, okay, this is what I had envisioned for my character's backstory. And this is what you had envisioned for your characters. How can we weave these closer together? Because they seem like the two characters are really connecting inside the game. Yeah. And then you give that to the GM. Yeah, exactly. All right. Know your mechanics. You do not need to know everything about every rule in 13th Age as a player. But you know who does? The GM. And if I can trust that Mark knows the Berserker mechanics and I don't need to look things up, that's one less plate that I have to keep spinning. You don't have to keep track of monster stats. You don't have to keep track of stories. You don't need to know how any of this stuff works. But if you know your character class inside and out, that is such a huge weight off of the GM's shoulders. Though there are some general rules that it's good that the GM doesn't have to explain every time. Right. Like, how do, you, how do you make a skill check? It's backgrounds right. plus level mm-hmm. plus modifier plus your role. But I would put that under your character. Like, okay. Like, well, I mean, I'm just saying I would I would be like, that's part of your character. If it's on your character sheet, you should know how it works. But if you, I, I, my thinking, if you were to print off from the SRD your class section, mm-hmm. that's not going to be included. No, in that. but it is it is part of the mechanics that the mm-hmm. players interact with. Um, uh, and the caveat that with, with that, though, if you have your SRD printed out and you say, well, I can do this, and the GM's like, well, you can't, make a note after the game. Talk it hey, out. Hey, Jim, mm-hmm. I'm reading this. What do you think mm-hmm. this should be? And, and, we'll, and I'll make a note. This is how it's going to work from now on. Mm -hmm. But don't start an argument at the table because you think the rule is different. I had a player come to me because I was I I was taking issue with how spells were being used. Um, And they came to me. We've talked it through going forward, understanding how these spells have to be used. And And in this case, it was spells like charm or suggestion or zone of truth, those type of spells that can drastically alter NPCs perceptions of the PCs out Mm -hmm. there. Um, And it was getting to this point where if the player is constantly using these spells in a way that they think is best and then constantly frustrating the NPCs in the area, there gets to be an issue Mm -hmm. within the story comes to a complete and total halt. Okay. We've got to hash this out. And yeah, at the table is not the place or time. No. No, there, there's definitely, it's, if only we lived in a world where we could just instant message people. Oh, wait, wait, we do. <laughs> outside of the game. That's right. Outside of the game. Because your now, phone's not at the table. Right. We, we did talk about no phones at the table, right? Maybe okay. put a basket over on the side of the room, put all your phones in the basket. Right. First one to touch the phone, buy snacks next week. That's right. I do think that one thing that I try to do, um, because I had one player do it for me once and I became so enamored with it and I apologize for never doing it in your game. If you find that you're you're playing a barbarian, right? The barbarian's a pretty simple class. If you're finding that your class choices are all, always very simple for you, find a way to help the DM out. Like I've had players be like, hey, you tell me what you roll, I will keep track of all the initiative. Like I'll tell you, like, like I'll write it up on the board. I'll be like, hey, Nick, it's your turn. Becca, it's your turn. Holy crap. That is so like, I cannot tell you as a GM how big of an impact that made on me. Um, I've had players offer to keep track of, well, Nick, you do this at the table. You write down every, 
Like when I say the monster's AC or PD or MD is this, you keep track. And when a player goes, I got this, did I hit? I would say seven out of 10 times, Nick is able to answer that before I am. It's huge. You're freeing up so much more mental space for your DM to be able to narrate a better combat. You keep all my players calm. How's that? Oh, you you talk them down when they're getting mad at me, so you're fine. Okay, that's fair. I can help with that. And last but not least, you added this in, Nick. Yeah, it's, it's the idea of knowing what you want from the story or just the game. I mean, if, if what you're really wanting is just to come together and hang out with these friends that you've wanted to hang out with, then recognize that and make allowments for that. Mm-hmm. You know, talk to the GM, say, could we expand this 15 minute social window and have it be 30 minutes because this is my only social outlet that I have mm-hmm. in my entire day or my entire week or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Um, or if you have chosen this particular character because you want to kind of explore this idea or this theme and you aren't quite sure what it would look like, then know that and recognize that and work that through with the GM so that you're not getting frustrated because you're wanting something out of this experience Mm -hmm. and everyone else is wanting something different. Right. Well, and I think you do a really good job about this in games where, and I'm probably going to hit up like my plan as the GM is to hit up the players probably around level three and say, Hey, here's where the story has been going. What do you want to see for Takalo? What do you want to see? Uh, for Raksha, like, what do you want to see for Heraclides? Like, what is, what do you want to see in the game? But being able to go to the DM before that and go, hey, you know what? This thing happened. We fought some Sahagwin. I lost an arm. Um, like, I would really like more Sahagwin to, sh- to show up because I'd really like to lose the other arm. Well, I would be glad <laughs> to help you with that. <laughs> nice foreshadowing. Nice foreshadowing. Um, I love Sahagwin. Wait, which game is that? All of them. <laughs> I've solved it. Nick should just play a Warforged that you just get a new arm. Yeah, we should. And you're good. Who cares? I, the got, entire realm of Nick's role playing has completely changed. I've got extra arms in the I backpack. I love it. So say you got to play a warforged with like a human companion that can always just fix you. Like that <laughs> yeah. has spare parts in their backpack. Yeah. If Takalo and Dubrock die, you know that Ben would be down for playing your engineer. Oh yes. Yes. All right. So the last any other thoughts on the first two categories before we get into the last one? Um, even though you want to know what you want from the story, be careful about not being a one track mind. Okay. So your character wants to get revenge on losing his arm, but if at every opportunity that you have to make a decision, you are sitting there going, no, 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 we have to go in this direction and refusing to be flexible in that. Well, I think that's a good segue into our player as part of the group. Um, our verb for being part of the group is seek. Be, no seek. Pretty simple to, to remember. And I would say that our number one seek is remember, role-playing is not a solitary experience. It's a group experience. So be willing to seek our fun over my fun. It was actually fascinating that I was on Twitter earlier this week and it came up across my feed about being a team player at an RPG Don't be a terrible person outweighs it's what my character would do. Yes. I love thinking in character. I love figuring out what my character would do. I'm very much a simulationist GM and player. However, what my character would do uh, should not be a different way to spell I'm being a jerk. 
I won't say it happens all the time, but it has happened at my table that this what my character would do is one player going, I don't care what it does to the rest of you. I'm going to do it anyway. And here's the thing. As Nick brought up in our death episode, your character is an idea. Ideas can change. You can find different paths for what your character would do. That does not mean all of our fun comes to a screeching halt. Mm -hmm. This person continued on with just saying like a loud mouth character can hold their tongue during an important social encounter. A kleptomaniac can share what they found and a stubborn character can be flexible in a dire situation. Like you as yourself in the real world change in need and so if there is still that need as the character, they can change. Well, and you gave a good example of your character. A coward can be brave when inspired by somebody. Mm -hmm. And so for your character to kind of explain away this, um, well, this is what my character would do. And this is what the party is doing is that you've got this person that you're following. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Find a way for your character as they are to be with the group as it is. Yeah, I and think we've all experienced the, especially way back when, uh, yeah, I'm a thief character. Well, there's the I steal from party members, and mm -hmm. that's always hilarious. Or you're in town, and you're trying to find some information, and it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to steal from the innkeeper. And they create more problems. Mm -hmm. And it's not a fun story thing. I mean, sometimes things go wrong, and it creates a story mm -hmm. problem that can be fun. Yeah, don't be that thief that thinks, well, I'm a thief, so I have to steal. Yeah, not all the time and not to create trouble for everyone else because usually the rest of the group's like, really? If you as a player find that the NPCs you encounter are constantly hostile to you, question whether or not that's the GM or if that's something that you are doing to create that situation. Yeah. And that leads into our next seek, right? Seek group objectives. Yeah, and our, one of our patrons, Clark, said that GM and players are learning together how to lean into a creation mm -hmm. night. Uh, that way everyone's involved in creating the world of the campaign and all of the characters, one unique things, backgrounds and icon relationships are all full of juicy story possibilities. And it, it's the understanding that I'm not just seeking out Takalo's personal story arc. It's that's just one piece of the collective story arc. And I need to find a way in my mind as I'm exploring this idea, how does my individual idea weave into the larger? And I think part of that is, again, like finding other players. Like if you could find one other character in the party and say, what's your goal? Excellent. My character is going to help you achieve your goal. That's really powerful because it gets... It gives you a second objective, a second yeah. reason to keep playing this game. Yeah, it gives you. And, and as a as a player for the story, when if I have bought into Mark's story and Mark's story pays off, I get a huge sense of accomplishment as well, just as much as when my story pays off or when the group story pays off. So you're in with me when my guy wants to take out the Dwarf King. Yeah, totally. Hands down. Oh, dude. My character's totally there too. I mean, granted, I am the dwarf king, so I'm also trying to crush you at the same time. But That's I can okay. keep them. I can keep both. I shall replace him as an icon. You know, yeah. that that might be one of probably my takeaway from this session is this idea when I, when I sit down at, at a table to play as a player, 
look for one way each session to put another character in the spotlight mm-hmm. and try to encourage them and help them achieve their goal. Yeah. I like that. Well, I think uh, you and I have talked a lot about active and passive entertainment. Richard and, and Ben and I have talked about this. If you are just sitting there constantly withdrawing from the GM, like we like GM burnout is a real problem. But if every session you're trying to put one thing back in the GM's coffer or one thing back in the group's coffer, man, that just helps the returns just keep coming out. And I think that brings us to kind of our last seek, seek to bring others into the fun. If it's your spotlight night, find a way to bring someone else into the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, the objective of this, like I I quoted that, but yeah, it's not to win, it's to have fun. Mm -hmm. So that's the other caveat is you're a player and you're at a table and everyone else seems to be okay and you're not having fun, then I would encourage you, find a different group that fits your style, your niche. Yeah. Not everyone gets along. Find a group and have fun. If you're not having fun, then there's something wrong. Yeah. It's not always necessarily in character that you're trying to encourage and help each other and, and, you know, draw others into your ideas and stuff. It's also kind of out of character, especially when you think about all of the narrative aspects of 13th age Mm -hmm. and how much, how many situations are put on the player to describe something. Why does this background fit into this? Mm -hmm. Or if you're doing a montage, what do you do? And we all have those moments where we are just, we, we just can't think of anything. Yeah. And it's okay to then turn around and ask the table, Hey, what are some things I could say to this guard or what are, what are some ways that you guys think that my character could maybe get past this lava pit or something like that? Yeah. Tim had a comment from the Patreon that, uh, make your fellow players look cool when you set up a montage. It's one thing to challenge the next player to think of something that they could do to get out of the mess you set up. But it's another thing to offer them a mundane or silly challenge, unless that's the kind of game you're playing. The montage is where you can help other players shine. And I've done that. And that's part of the pay attention is, oh, I know Yannicka has this as a background. Comes around, okay, I I solved the problem this way, and here's the next problem. And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, I've got that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Well, one final thought that kind of goes back to a comment that we've had before. Try jamming a session because you will find it opens your eyes to what goes on behind the screen. It gives you a different perspective. And this was one of the big things. Uh, Josh is a relatively new player in our games. Mm -hmm. But every time he makes a character, he's approaching it from a DM's mindset because he normally DMs. And he goes, if I were the DM, what would I want a player to give me? You do the same thing. You do the same thing. You do the same. Like everybody here kind of, but we have that perspective because we've sat on the other side of the screen. I think that DMing once, jamming a game of 13th age once will change your perspective on what it means to be a good player. Mm-hmm. Also gives your DM a night off. I was about to say, it gives it's a nice gift for your GM when they get to sit back and go, sweet, I don't have to worry about all the threads tonight. You'll take care of it. I'll go ahead and just... <clears throat> Play my character. This is really nice. And then, of course, they come up with even more campaign ideas. And so the next time they sit down, they cackle maniacally. (laughs) (laughs) So what I would like to do is have an episode in March. And we'll have to figure out how to do this. But if you want to show your GM appreciation, GM Appreciation Day is in March. Send us something like a share a story with us about how cool your GM was in 13th age. Send it to iconic podcast at gmail.com and we will release it either as an episode or as a blog post where we share player appreciation for GM on GM's day. I think that Nick, you had a little mention on this. Be appreciative. Like 
like actually express gratitude to your DM. Even if it's as simple as just saying thank you when you're done with the session. I mean, that goes a long way. But we've mentioned that the GM is putting a lot of time and effort. Um, sometimes they're opening up their home. A lot of times they're bringing snacks. They're, they're doing a lot for you as a player. I am sure that you appreciate that. And I'm sure that they figure you appreciate it, but it's another thing to make that step and actually show them appreciation yeah. in some way. GM Day is a great way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Give them a gift card, go buy them a drink, get them coffee, figure out what their favorite snack is, bring that the next time, yeah. run another game for them, something like that. But um, at, at the very minimum, just make sure that they know that you, that you have a heartfelt thank you for them. Yeah. And honestly, I would say... At least one of the goals of this episode is just that. It's just to say, hey, I'm in your game. Let me be the best player in your game that I can be. And I will I will be honest, good players get invited to multiple games. Yeah, that's one one check. It's like, am I a good player? If you keep getting asked back or asked to other games, then you're probably a good player. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a great cycle. I mean, good players help make a great JM. Or good they players. do help make a great JM. <laughs> Behind every great JM is a lot of great players. A lot of dead characters. <laughs> that's how I get the height. That's right. You guys kind of push me up the hill. Good players help make good GMs, and good GMs help make good players. Yes. And I think that as long as everybody is going to that table and coming away with that table, like you were saying, JM, with just that one thing, about how can I be a better player? How can I be a better person? Um, everyone's going to benefit from it. Yeah. And both together make great games. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those make the games that you tell stories about yes. for the rest of your life. Yes. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash iconic podcast or by using our Amazon referral link, which you can find in our show notes or on our website to do your online shopping. Well, you've been listening to the Iconic Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can contact us at iconicpodcast at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 720-924-1706. And be sure to check out iconicpodcast.com for news, updates, and new episodes. Thanks for listening.